ministry, including a city pastor back in the day. And uh, so I'm really, really excited that God has brought him here. One of the things I prayed for at Authentic Church, that this would be a place of healing and restoration for many men and women. And that uh, God has brought us a gift in Mr. Randall. So I'm super excited. Woo! All right, we're going to have a Service today through 16 through 18. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because I don't have all the answers. I, I hate to disappoint you right off the bat, but that, that's the way it is. But if you scan this QR code, it goes straight to my phone, and you can take any question that you have. And it'll go straight to my phone. I'll take all those questions and I'll get with, with PJ, and we'll we'll go through those questions. And that way, you know, you, we don't have to be embarrassed when we can't answer it very well. <laughs> I'm already nervous. I was telling you. Well, I, I, I appreciate it all the time. So, uh, if you can hear my heart beating through my microphone, that's what you're hearing. My heart beating through the microphone. Uh, but before I get started in, in, in the, the sermon, uh, can we just give up Pastor James and Chris for what they've done? Everybody, 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 encouragers. But let me tell you this, your pastor, not just Pastor James, but all pastors, all the churches in Blount County, Knoxville, Sevier County, they need your encouragement. Yes. This is one of the hardest, if not the hardest, if you want to call it a job or whatever, it's the hardest thing to do. Because he's carrying your burdens and his own. And so he needs encouragement too. We love you. Thank you for for uh, everything that you're doing. And also I want to mention, we have we, we have a prayer meeting every Wednesday morning at 8 o'clock. You can get on the Facebook uh, what, uh, the Zoom. Facebook page. It's, it's a Zoom call. And uh, so we do it over Zoom. It, it starts at 8 o'clock. And uh, we would love to have you uh, join us. We pray every week, every Wednesday at 8 o'clock. And on Fridays we have Jesus dudes for the men at 7 a.m. at uh, Vienna at the coffee shop. Uh, also, just... A, a, a shameless plug. I'm sorry I should ask for permission to do this, but hey, I'm like here. It's too late. <laughs> I have a podcast that's a Bible study. It's called, I, I used to be a semi-professional skateboarder when I was younger, so it's a skateboarding thing when you look at the little, uh, what do you call it, the little picture on, on the icon, yes. Um, but it, it, we've covered, we're finishing Mark right now. I think we're fixing to do Mark 13. 14, and uh, we've, that'll, that'll cover all four Gospels, uh, the Book of Romans, uh, say, uh, in Hebrews, and Acts. So if you need Bible study material, it's on any, pot, it's on any uh, like Pandora, uh, Spotify, all those, all those kind of radio stations. It's on YouTube if you want to watch it on the video. Uh, but it's called Grind It. Grind it, one word, G-R-I-N-D-I-T, Grind It, The Grind It Podcast. Mary and Shelby, and, and some, we have guests on there. Uh, we all do that together. Uh, so if you need Bible study material, check it out. It doesn't cost you a thing. All right. So let's get into Revelation 16 through 18. So what I've done, I, I want to kind of go back a little bit behind you and, and just oversimplify this floor squeaking. Let me get a little closer so I can spin them and have that. <laughs> I want to oversimplify Revelation just for a minute. Number one, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. Revelation 1, the first verse says, this is a revelation. One revelation. 
This is a revelation. This word can be, uh, uh, it says either, this word is a revelation from or of. It can be translated, those two words. Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the events that must soon take place. So it's all about Jesus. It reveals Jesus' authority. What did he say in Matthew 28? All authority has been what? Given unto me. And we see that throughout the book of Revelation, right? He is the lamb, as you mentioned earlier, for communion. He is the lamb that was worthy to open the scroll. He was the only person in heaven. Think about that. The myriad of angels, all the saints that had gone on, he was the only one that could open the scroll. Get this. What, what, were, what were the people of Israel looking for when, when the Messiah came? Do you remember? They wanted a convert. They wanted a military hero. They wanted somebody to come and keep the Roman butt, right? Guess what Jesus is in Revelation? Conquering king. Yeah, he's the conquering king. He comes on that white horse with a sword in his mouth, speaks a word, it's over. <laughs> I know how the story is. Right? All right, number two. Revelation, and we're going to get 6 a.m. I promise you. Revelation is a book of hope. You mentioned that earlier about hope and encouragement. Revelation is a book of hope. It gives the reader, even us today in 2024, a glimpse into heaven. Why is this important? Because when you think of who Revelation was originally written to, persecuted Christians, we, we don't know what that's like today in the United States. There, there's always some exceptions to, to this. But for the most part, we got it made. We're sitting in a, an air-conditioned building, a heated building today, in padded pews. Yeah. We're not having to worry about if we're going to make it to church next week or not. Right. Right? These people were. Yeah. If you remember Saul, or Paul, before he became Paul, he was Saul, right? He was persecuting Christians. He was going to house to house. He was ripping men and women out of their homes, grandmas, grandpas, moms, and dads. He didn't care about families. He thought he was doing God a favor, and he's pulling these people out of their homes, taking them to jail, where a lot of them would die. They would be tortured for the faith. And then you've got the, the Romans. You've got Nero, who would take Christians and pour oil on them and then light them on fire and light up his gardens while they're still alive. Or he would bury them up to their waist and drive chariots of uh, Domitian's. The, 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 the emperor Domitian said that he wanted to eradicate all the Jews. Does that sound familiar? He, he did not like the Jews. Now, in Revelation 17, I figured we'd get there. So, in Revelation 17, 1 through 6, John sees a prostitute who is drunk. And what is she drunk from? You know? The blood of the saints. This persecution. that brings hope, right? Look at Revelation. In chapter 17, verses 1 through 6, it says, one of the seven angels who had poured out the seven bowls. This, this is the last set of judgments, right? The bowls, they're bad. Uh, this angel, these seven angels had poured out the seven bowls that came over and they spoke to me, come with me he said, and I will show you uh, judgment that is going to come on the great prostitute who rules over many waters, the kings of the world have committed adultery with her and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality, so the angel took me into the spirit, into the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast what does scarlet remind you of? yeah the sins. Remember what Isaiah says? Though your sins be scarlet. Right. But the, the bride of Christ is dressed in what? White. What is the prostitute sitting on? Well, she's dressed in scarlet, right? 
The kings of the world have committed adultery with her, and the people who belong to this world have been made drunk by the wine of her immorality. So the angel took me into the spirit in the wilderness, and there I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that has seven heads and ten horns, and the blasphemies against God were written all over it. The woman wore purple and scarlet clothing. She loved that, that color scarlet. And the beautiful jewelry made of gold and precious gems and pearls. And in her hand, she held a gold goblet full of obscenities and impurities of her immorality. Very simple, very simple. A mysterious name was written on her forehead, Babylon the Great, mother of all prostitutes and obscenities in the world. And listen to what John says in verse 6. I could see that she was drunk, drunk with the blood of God's holy people who were witnesses for Jesus. Persecution like you could never imagine. John says, I stared at her in complete amazement. And here's the cool thing about Revelation, in this part anyway, we don't have to figure out who the prostitute is because John tells us in verses 15 through 18. He says, Then an angel said to me, The waters where the prostitute is ruling represent masses of people of every nation and language. The scarlet beast and his ten horns all hate the prostitute. They're going to strip her naked, eat her flesh, nasty, and burn her remains with fire. For God has put a plan in their minds, a plan that will carry out his purposes. How, do you know, how many of you know that God will always will be accomplished. Right. Nothing can stand in his way. Yeah. Not even Satan. They will agree to give their authority to the scarlet beast and so the words of God will be fulfilled. And verse 18 says, and this woman you saw in your vision represents the great city that rules over the kings of the world. Well, who was ruling at that time? Rome. Peter calls Rome Babylon. Interesting enough. In 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 13. So Revelation was written to the church back then who was being persecuted, but it's also written to us today in 2024. How do I know that? Because Revelation 119 says, Jesus says to John, write down what you have seen, both the things that are now happening at the moment and the things that will happen. As Pastor said, been saying for weeks, 80% pretty easy to understand, 20% pretty difficult. And I don't know if you know who Perry Stone is. I, I like listening to Perry Stone. I love the Old Testament. Uh, Perry Stone is very knowledgeable yeah. of the Old Testament. And if that guy struggles with Revelation, I don't have a chance. <laughs> and I, I'm just going to confess something to you. I never told you this. So I, I'm confessing in front of everybody. I've never, I've been in ministry since I was 19. I was reading the Bible in third grade. I've been studying it for a long time. I've never, ever preached out of Revelation. <laughs> Not one time. I referenced it, never preached out of it. So the pastor says, hey, you want to preach? I was like, I love to preach. He says, we're doing a series of Revelation. I told Mary, I was like, oh boy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then when I started reading the chapters that he gave me, I was like, oh dear. <laughs> so the book of Revelation is given, uh, it's all about Jesus, right? It's given uh, hope to the persecuted Christians, even to us today. And then Revelation uh, 16 through 18 is also it's a stark reminder we can't do it without God. We absolutely cannot do it without God. I can't remember who said it last week. Somebody said, I don't know how people go day by day without God in their lives. Yeah. Yeah. How do people do that? Where do they put their trust in? Money? Their jobs? Power? Control? <clears throat> Mom and dad? That's coming to an end. And that's what these, these three chapters are all about. But Revelation 16 through 18 is a stark reminder that we have to have God in our lives and that we cannot make it 
with Adam. Because what happens in these three chapters is that these people, they trusted the wrong person. They trusted the prostitute. And guess what? The prostitute lets them down big time, right? They lose everything that they have. If you read chapter 18, you, you, you see all the riches that the, the, the prostitute has, this, this ruling nation, Rome at the time, whatever's going on now, you know, you got the, 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 the kingdom that's coming, the one kingdom, the, the Antichrist coming, and all that jazz. I'm saving that for you. You can talk about more about that next week. Uh, <laughs> that's the future stuff. Uh, but they, they put their church, that what happens is, you know, you got Rome who's rich. She's mooching off the people in her territories, using their resources, selling their goods, and getting rich. And then you got all these kings and these nations all around them that says, hey, we want to join prostitutes. We want to join in, and what they're doing is not only for her money, but they're joining her immorality. Because that's what we do as people. When we hang around with the wrong crowd, what happens? They, they drag us down. And here are these, you know, because we want to be accepted. We want, we want to mooch off of them, if you will. Because, hey, you know, my friend is, is popular in school or whatever, and I want to be popular. So I'm going to, it doesn't matter how they're living their life, I just want to go be a part of them. Because I want that power and authority. They, I want people noticing me. That's basically what's going on here. And in uh, Revelation 18, 18, it says, because uh, these, 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 these resources, they've been using to get rich, right? In Rome and all these, these nations around them. God's going to take them away. They're going to lose everything. Um, in Revelation 18, 8, it says, Therefore these plagues will overtake her in a single day. Death and mourning and famine should be completely consumed by fire, and the Lord God who judges her is mighty. What that tells me is everything on this earth is coming to an end. If you read, I think it's Second Peter, chapter two, maybe down around in there, about the middle of the chapter, it's all burning up. This is burning up, getting you heaven and a new earth, right? And we'll talk more about that in, in just a few minutes. But if you read chapter, the rest of chapter eighteen, you hear the cry of the people who bought and sold goods from the prostitute in her territory, and, and what's happening is. God sends these plagues, we'll talk about that in just a second, but God sends these plagues, and it absolutely wipes out this powerful, powerful government and their territories. Everything that they had, that they trusted and relied on, is gone. God takes away their resources to, to, to make these goods that they were using to get rich off of and powerful. Well, what happens when, when you mess with people's money and you mess with people's power? What happens? They get angry. You don't like me when I'm angry, right? <laughs> if y'all watched, I mean, you young bucks, you don't know what I'm talking about, but there's a show called Incredible Hulk in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> right? You won't like me when I'm angry. And then he turns green because he gets angry. But when you mess with people's money, when you mess with people's power and their authority, they get angry. And Revelation 16 tells us that the people do not repent because when you read Revelation 16 through 18, and God's sending these, these judgments, and the, the angels are pouring out these bowls. They're designed to make the people, or help the people, repent. It's really grace, if you think about it. God's given them an opportunity to repent. That's right. But unfortunately, what do they do? They shake their fist. They shake their fist, and they curse God over and over and over. They're blaming God because they put their trust in the wrong person. We've done this ever since the fall of Garden of Eden, having man. We still do it today. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The sixth bowl dries up, the Euphrates River, and Armageddon happens. Yes, we're going to talk about Armageddon, but not very much. Not a whole lot, too, if you think about it. 
Armageddon is man's final attempt to defeat God, to show him once and for all who's in charge, right? Because we, we know what we're doing. And we're in control, right? right? That's what we think anyway. I mean, read Romans 1. It's all about it. We want to show him who's boss. And since the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, man has tried our best to do away with God. Because we're in control. And we know what's best. Or at least we think we do. We do this all the time. Even today. Right? But before we get into Armageddon, I want to talk about something. The great, this is what I call the great deception. Where was Satan? Originally? He was in heaven. If I'm not mistaken, he was like a choir director or something. The dude knows the music. The dude knows the word, too, so watch it. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But he was in heaven. He is a created angel. Was cast out. Luke 10, 18, Jesus says, I saw lightning. Satan cast out of heaven like lightning. <clears throat> he's the ruler of this world, like it or not. 2 Corinthians 4, 4. He's the ruler of this world for now. I'll put that on there. Ever since then, he has been trying to create his own kingdom. Think about that. He's been trying to create his own kingdom and mimic heaven like an impersonator. You know, I can get up here and I can shake my leg like right here. And I can call my elbow. And I can say, hey, baby, I love you. It's Elvis! <laughs> to make me Elvis, doesn't it? But he's impersonating God. Think about this. God has angels. Satan has angels. Fallen angels. He took third of them from heaven. God has a trinity, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Satan has a trinity. You better mention it week after week. Dragon, beast, false prophet. God has a Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6. Guess who else has a Shema? A false Shema. Mark of the beast. The Shema is on, in Deuteronomy chapter 6, where's the Shema? You put the, the scriptures on your forehead, forehead and your oh, hand. Yeah. Where's 666 posted at? Forehead, hand. Your mind and your actions. God's got miracle workers. Guess who else has miracle workers? Yeah. We're going to talk about that in just a second. All right, let's get into Armageddon. Yeah, all this false stuff going on, this deceit, deception. And that's what Armageddon is really all about. Revelation 16, 12 through 14, you got this ultimate battle going on in the Valley of Megiddo. And this is what's coming, to me anyway. Some frauds. This false trinity is going to spit these frogs out of their mouth. You can read this in Revelation 16. Uh, it's gonna, these, these, this false trinity is going to uh, spit these frogs out, and these frogs are going to convince these kings of these nations that they can defeat God. Once and for all, you can be in control. You're going to have immortality. You're going to be uh, so powerful. You're already powerful. You're mooching out the prostitute. Look at all this prosperity. You got it made. And if we could just get rid of God, and we've been doing this ever since the garden, take all the power and control and everything that you're going to have for all eternity. <coughs> but why I say it's comical is because Jesus comes up, and I think you'll probably talk about this next week in Revelation 19, 11 through 21. Jesus shows up on a white horse with his army. Guess who's in the army? We are. The blood washed, right? Mm -hmm. That has gone on before, right? We come back with Jesus. He speaks one word, a word. It's over. And when I was when I was uh, thinking about this, and, and it kind of being comical because Satan comes with frogs and Jesus comes with a sword, with a with an army dressed in white. I thought of Psalm two one through four. 
Why are the nations so angry? Why do they waste their time with futile plans? The kings of the earth prepare for battle. The rulers plot together against the Lord and against his anointed one. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from slavery to God. The people thought they were slavery to God. God is he's giving them freedom. Freedom. If you want true freedom, if you want liberation, it's not in these, in these movements that's going on in our culture today. Freedom comes from Christ. Freedom comes from yeah. Jesus and then washing the blood of Jesus who, whom the Son set free is what? If you've never been washing the blood of Jesus Christ, I don't care what you're doing in life, you are in bondage. Yep. Mm-hmm. Just talk to the Jews of that day because they said, we ain't in bondage to no man. We belong to Abraham. No, you're in bondage. In bondage to sin. Let us break their chains, they cry, and free ourselves from the slavery to God. But the one who rules in heaven laughs. God is in heaven laughing. The Lord scoffs at them. Verse 10 and 12 says, Now then, you kings, act wisely. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with reverent fear and rejoice with trembling. Submit to God's royal son, or he will become angry. And you will be destroyed in the midst of all your activities, for his anger flares up in an instant. But what joy? You want joy? Here's how you get joy. But what joy for all who take refuge in him, in God, in God's Son. So there's your breakdown of Revelation 16 through 18. Surface, I know. Do you have questions? And that, that, that QR code will be on the last slide as well. Scan that QR code, send questions, and we'll, we'll, we'll dive into it. I'll give you a pastor. He can dive into it however he wants to handle that. What I want to do is pray, and I'm going to just get into some things that I've drawn out 16 through 18. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for the power of your word. It changes lives. It, Hebrews 4.12 tells us it, it, it just goes so deep. It penetrates so deep into our innermost being, into our souls. And thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us to your throne and you tell us to come just as we are. Dirty. Filthy. And we can come into your presence all because the blood of Jesus. First of all, I pray for anybody in this place today that does not know you that they will not leave the way they came in. That they will give their lives to you. That they will commit to you to be washed in the blood of Jesus. That's what this is all about. Because you are hope. Hope has a name and his name is Jesus. And as we go through these few lessons this morning, I pray that people will find that hope and be encouraged to keep going forward in the days ahead. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. The first lesson, pretty simple. How, how, how Many of you remember a group from the 90s called DC Talk. When that Christian rap first started coming out. Love, love, love is a verb. They remade a song. Uh, it was written by Larry Norman. I think it's 1969. I wish we'd all been ready. There's no time to change your mind. The sun has come and you've been left behind. Right? Y'all remember that? Yeah. Remember that? Well, DC Talk remade that in the 90s. We gotta be ready. 
And I will say it again. If you're not washing the blood of Jesus Christ, if you've never made him Lord and Savior of your life, you're not ready. It's just that simple. You're not ready. Revelation 16, 15. Jesus says, you got a red letter version. This is in red. Look, I will come as unexpectedly as a thief. Blessed are all who are watching for me who keep their clothing ready so they will not have to walk around naked and ashamed. And everybody say, amen. <laughs> we don't have a clue when Jesus is coming back. He, he just is plain and simple. Jesus says, no man knows the hour when the Son of Man is coming. Right. But only the Father. So I'm not wasting any more time on that. All I'm saying is, be ready. And the pastor talked about the parable of the ten virgins uh, the other day. Five wise, five foolish. The five wise had extra oil. They were prepared. They were ready. The five foolish ran out. Their lamps were running low on oil, so they had to go to town. What happened when they were in town? Yeah, the bridegroom showed up. And that door was shut tight. And it was not going to be open. And they on the door and they said, let me in! No, we're, we're partying. We don't have time. And if you don't think there's a party in heaven, uh, is that in Luke where it talks about the party in heaven when the sinner comes to repentance? I think that's in the book of Luke. You can Google it. So be ready. Number two. Got a question. Where is your treasure? Where is your treasure? In Revelation 16 through 18, these people's treasure was in their stuff. It was in their riches. And if you read uh, chapter 18, you can see all the riches that the prostitute had. Gold, silver, things that we take for granted. You can buy, you know, at the grocery store for 50 cents, cinnamon, all these spices. But back then, it was a huge ordeal. She was very rich and powerful. And the prostitute sold them a bill of goods. Trust me, she said. I can make you rich. I can make you powerful. I can give you immortality. What happens in chapter 18, it all comes crashing down in a single moment, in a single day. And they're dumped out. But their treasure was in their stuff. In Matthew 6, 19-21, Jesus says, Don't store up treasures here on where? Earth. Where moth eat them and rust destroys them. Where, where thieves break in and steal. Store up treasures where? In heaven. In heaven. Where moth and rust cannot destroy. And thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So wherever your treasure is, guess what? That's where your heart is. And if you would open up your bank account app, I can tell real quickly where your heart is. If you would let me walk with you one week, I can tell you where your treasure is. Real quick. Because it's where you spend the most time and money. How much time do you spend in the service of God compared to how you spend time everywhere else on this earth? Let that sink in for a minute. Because I'll be honest with you, for a long time, and I was in the pulpit, but my treasure wasn't in heaven. I said it was. I acted like it was. But if you followed me around, you would be embarrassed by my life. Praise God. 
of grace and mercy. And long suffering. Amen. Amen. And I pray that you will be too. Don't leave this place the same way you came in. I think about this guy that built the barns in Luke 12, 16 through 21. Uh, he had all this stuff. And, and instead of what we're supposed to do, what, what did Jesus say there? What, what, what's the number one thing we're supposed to be doing? Make disciples. Yeah, but giving. We're supposed to be taking our stuff and sharing it with people. Yep. Meeting people's needs. Why? Because we're trying to make disciples. But if I'm hoarding my stuff up and I'm not sharing it, and people know that I've got an excess thing of goods, you know, because we say, I'm not rich. I can't, y'all don't have no money. The poorest person in the United States is richer than more than two-thirds of the world. Did you know that? The poorest people in the United States of America are, are richer than two-thirds of the world. We talked to a guy on our cruise when we went on our honeymoon, made, what, $200 a month, was it? Was it $200 a month. Couldn't live off that over here. And I think about this guy, he, he, he's built all this stuff. And he says, let me sit back, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you, what? Fool. You will die this very night, and who will get everything that you worked for? Yes, a person, Jesus says, is a fool to store of earthly wealth, but not have a rich relationship with and that's what it's all about. That's the whole problem in Revelation 16 through 18. These people didn't have a relationship with God. One of the scariest verses in the Bible is when Jesus is given the Sermon on the Mount, we've been talking about in Jesus' dudes. And he says, these people say, Lord, we've been doing all this stuff. We've been casting out demons in your name. We've been doing this in your name, doing that in your name. And Jesus says what? Turn me, depart me. I don't know you. And if you look up the Greek word there, it's talking about intimacy. When Jesus says, I don't know you. He says, we did not have a relationship. You did all this stuff in my name, but I never knew you. You didn't know me because you didn't spend time with me. You didn't, you didn't spend service with me. You were just using my name. Where's your treasure? On earth or in heaven? Because if it's on earth, you better read Revelation 16 through 18 if you haven't read it yet. Because you're going to see what's going to happen to that stuff. Has anybody ever, ever had a break-in in your home or in your business? When I was a, I used to be a meat department manager before I went to Bible college. And I sitting back there cutting meat. Got pork laying all around. And I'm trying to go home. It's almost 3 o'clock. Mr. Charlie, my rapper, about a seven-year-old man, he's rapping away. We can't see out in the store. There's two little doors over here with little, little windows on it. Little, beknownst to us, we didn't know, the Dollar General had caught on fire. And the smoke came across through the ceiling and had filled up our store. It was so dark, you couldn't see anything. And, and one of the ladies, the, the checker, she had said, everybody to the front now. Well, it was the, the store owner's mom. And we just thought, you know, she was, because sometimes she could be a little bossy. And we thought she was, you know, a little angry. And she needed some help sacking groceries or something. And Charlie said, man, you're not going up front. I said, no, I'm not going up front. I'm going home, dude. I'm getting this pork cut. And I'm out of here. I, you know. Well, I just happened. And I don't know what drew me over to the door. However, I walked over to that door and looked out. Black darkness. Couldn't see nothing. I said, Charlie, the store is so far. We got to get out of here. We, you know, we were gone. They were already spraying the store. 
We were the last two out. They were already spraying the store with the, 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 the fire department. You know, we, when we ran outside, we're like, Ugh. I'll tell you that just to say, you, you, you never expect it. But this, this stuff, man, it, it treasures on earth, it could be gone in an instant. In an instant. Here's the third thing. And this is a big one. I'm going to spend some time on this. So if you were in a hurry this morning, you can get up and leave whenever you need to. It won't hurt my feelings. I promise you, I tried to cut this sermon down. It's about 45 minutes long, so just hold on. But here's a big one. Because I know I'm talking to Pentecostals. The spirit filled, baby! <laughs> yes. Don't underestimate the power of the enemy. Let me say that again. Do not underestimate the power of the enemy. If Satan can convince a third of the angels to leave heaven, don't think for one second that he can't get to you. Think about that for a second. This guy challenged Jesus <coughs> and challenged him with his own game. You can work miracles. There's a rock Turn that stone to bread if you are the Son of God. Be bold. And He knows what He's doing. He knows how to get to your fans. And He knows how to tear it down. He knows how to get inside and conquer and divide. And what does Jesus say? Or I think Paul said. Kingdom divided, no, the kingdom divided against itself. What? It cannot stand. Hey, Satan is good at his game. He's crafty. Genesis three one. He's a schemer. Ephesians six, verse eleven. And I don't care how full of the spirit you are. And I'm going to give you some examples. Don't think for one second that he can't get. And I'm just saying this as a warning. I'm just saying that as a warning. Look, I know from personal. Uh, walk. And if you want to hear my testimony, you want to hear my story, I'll share it. I'm not embarrassed. In 1 Corinthians 10, 12-13, Paul says, if you think you are standing strong, I know a lot of you are. Strong. Strong in your faith. You're in the Word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. You're in the Word daily. Your faith is super strong. But Paul says, if you think you're strong, or standing strong, be careful not to fall. What was the question of the day? Once they go, he said, <laughs> Be careful not to fall. Is that possible? Well, if it wasn't possible, Paul wouldn't say it. The temptations in your life are no different from what others experience. You know, Satan's been using the same tactics that he's been using since the Garden of Eden yeah. thousands and thousands of years, but we continue to eat that fruit. God says, taste and see that the Lord is good. But we, we want this garbage over here. Why, why do we fall for the garbage? We continue to fall for the garbage. Now think about Judas. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. Judas, like it or not, when the disciples are sent out by two into the villages, Judas preached about the kingdom of God. And guess what else Judas did? He worked miracles. He cast out demons. The dude walked with Jesus for three and a half 
years, and yet he betrays Jesus. Why did he betray Jesus? John 13, 27. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. Jesus told him, don't do what you got to do. do it quick. Satan knows our weaknesses. He knows how to get to us. Y'all ever heard this guy named Peter? Luke 22, 31-34, Jesus says, Simon, Simon. We're talking about the guy who made the statement, you are the Christ, the, Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus says, hey, you are Peter. You are Petros. You are a piece of the rock, the Petra, this immovable stone. I'm giving you the keys to the kingdom. And we see that in Acts chapter 2, when he's standing <coughs> in the day of Pentecost, says, these guys aren't drunk as you suppose. Right. <clears throat> this is what's happening because the prophet Joel prophesied about it in Joel chapter 2. This is what's going on here. So Peter's full of boldness. He's made claims that he will die with Jesus. He will never deny Jesus. Right? But in Luke 22, 31-34, Jesus says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, because your faith should not fail. So when you have repented, in other words, it's going to fail. When you have repented and turned to me again, you've got to be somewhere and leave it and come back and get there again, right? Strengthen your brothers. And that's what I'm trying to do this morning by giving you this warning. Peter said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you. I'm, I, I'll even die with you. Jesus said, let me tell you something to do. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And what happens? He's warmed by the fire, denies Jesus. Three times. And that third time, however, the dude's cussing. He's cursing God. I tell you, I don't know the man. And then Jesus, I would love to see that stare down when Jesus turned and looked at Peter and said, I told you so. Satan is good at his game. John, the one, the author of, or the one writing, pinning this, uh, the book of Revelation down, right, we just read that, that the, the Spirit showed him this prostitute, and he describes this prostitute. Man, we know, you know, a good-looking woman, right? Looking at my wife. <laughs> we know what a good woman looks like. Why are we like them? We say good looking woman. Sometimes we stare a little too long, don't we? It's exactly what happens to John. The man who's been boiled in oil, he's been banned to the Isle of Palace to basically rot. And he can't get his eyes off that fine woman. And he's looking an angel coming over saying, Hey, what are you doing? Let's go. <laughs> Come with me. Right? John says, I stared at her in complete amazement. And the angel says, why are you so amazed? Because we like fruit. We like garbage. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, stay sober, or stay alert. Sorry, I'm King James on you there for a second. Stay alert. Watch out, your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. What does the devil look like? How? I know I can use you for that one. You won't punch me. Hey. Welcome to the devil. This is what Satan looks like. Not a cute little, this is what Satan looks like. Why do I say that? What did he, what did he, the Peter, one of the strongest Christians that ever walked with Jesus, 
What would Jesus tell Peter? Get behind me. Get behind me. Don't, don't touch me. Because oh. <laughs> you're not Satan. He's one of the greatest guys you'll ever get to know right here. He does his prayer meeting from a hot tub. <laughs> Satan is not this cute little thing. He, he, he uses people. He uses our families. He uses our moms and dads, our uncles, grandmas and grandpas, our, our bosses at work, our co-workers to get to us. And all he has to do is create a little bit of doubt. And this is what's scary. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 14 that he can appear as an angel of light. Mm -hmm. That scares me. How can we know the difference? If, 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 if the Satan is so powerful that he can appear as an angel of light and mimic God, how do we know if it's Satan? How do we know if it's God? Very simple. Better be in this. 2 Timothy 3, 12 through 17. You've got to be in the Word. Paul says to Timothy, yes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil people and imposters will flourish. They will deceive others and will themselves be deceived. But you, Timothy, and us today, you must remain faithful to the things you have been taught. You know they are true, for you know you can trust those who taught you. You have been taught. This is verse 15 of 2 Timothy 3. Verse 15, you have been taught the holy scriptures from childhood, and they have given you the wisdom to receive the salvation that comes by trusting in Christ Jesus. If you're not in the Word on a daily basis, and I'm talking about not just reading. You know, I, I get a verse texted every day. That's good. Do that. If that's where you've got to start, do that. But don't stay there. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Get in the Word. Yes, because when you look up in Ephesians chapter 6 and Paul gives us the, the armor of God, guess what? We only have one weapon. It's the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. It's the Word of God. If you don't know this, you're in trouble. can't put it any nicer than that. Everything that the enemy offers is nothing but a facade. Riches, power, control, immorality, immortality, sorry, is all a lie to suck us in. And when we're sucked into that well, we're trapped. And when we try to get out, and the more we're you got caught in a spider web, and it's all up, it's just still off. Oh. And the more you try to get off of it, the more it sticks to you, and it's all over you. That's what sin does. That's what Satan does. And then he comes along and he wants to convince us that, hey, like the prostitute, you're in power. You're in control. You can have immortality. You can have all these riches. You can be your own God. That's what he did with Adam and Eve. He comes up to eat. He gets her attention on that fruit. She knows she's not supposed to eat it. Probably never even paid attention to that fruit until Satan came along. He says, look at that fruit. The reason God doesn't want you eating from that, that tree is because if you eat from it, you'll be what? You'll be just like God. They were already just like God. They had perfect communion in the Garden of Eden. God came and walked with these two people had conversations with them. They didn't have to work. There was, well, they hadn't had babies yet, but there was there going to be no pain in child labor. <laughs> but they didn't have to work. Water, it never rained. Water came up out of the ground and watered the earth. They could just go and pick whatever food they wanted. They had it made. But Satan 
kind of this little bit of seed, this little bit of doubt in Eve's mind. He said, God's holding back on you. Well, I want to be like God. And she ate the fruit. And we still eat the fruit today. We still want to be our own God, be powerful, and be in control. We, uh, we've watched uh, the Hobbit series. I've never seen it. I don't know. I'm bored. The Hobbit series and the Lord of the Rings series. And the Lord of the Rings is all about this ring. Not this one. The one like it. And that ring, it gives power. It gives immortality. It, it, it helps the person being. Whoever owns that ring, good or bad, they have all these things that man seeks. And Sam, the, the whole through the, the whole series is like, you gotta get rid of this ring. You gotta throw it, you gotta take it back to where it comes from and throw it in the fire. It's the only way to destroy the ring. And Sam and Frodo. Yeah, God help him. That dude just wimpy looking. Frodo. So I thought I think of one more I was like, this guy's a wimp. But he gets jumping. Sort of. And so he, they take the ring to the fire, and all Frodo has to do is drop that ring in the fire right there, and Sam's like, throw the ring in the fire! Frodo! And Frodo turns around and is like, I can't! And he's holding him, I can't! And what people comes and tackles him, and they, you know, they go oh, the ring goes into the fire. So the, the ring gets destroyed. So I hate to give a spoiler alert there if you've never seen those series. But the ring does get destroyed, and good wins. But my point is, he couldn't let go of that ring. The power, the control, the immortality, all these things that Satan offers through the world. Don't underestimate the power of the enemy. Be in the word, get close to God, and hang on. And allow your brothers and your sisters in Christ to help you, encourage you. That's what Hebrews 10 is all about. We beat people over the head about not coming to church with Hebrews 10, 25. But the verse before that says, encourage one another. Yeah. Encourage one Spur one another on to love and good works. If you look up that word in the Greek, it's literally, remember Tom and Jerry car things, they stuck a tack under somebody's rear end and they jump up. That's what that word means. Spur one another on. So, I'm not encouraging you to stick somebody in the rear end of the tack. They did. <laughs> One of the greatest tools the enemy uses is discouragement and frustration. I'll, I'll go fast through this one. Discouragement and frustration. Raise your hand if you've ever been angry with God. Frustrated with God. Doubting God. Upset with God. Because you've prayed for this and you've prayed for that and you don't get the answer that you've been expecting. And what does Satan do? He comes along and says, if God loves you, then why, why, why are you having to go through this? Start doubting. It, 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 it happens all the time. We see coworkers stealing from their employee, yet they get the promotion. You don't. We see neighbors doing shady stuff, yet they got the biggest house and the nicest cars. And you can barely make your house payments when your car's leaking oil and you can barely even get to the grocery store. Preachers who have booming churches, yet they live a double life while these faithful preachers. Struggle to keep their doors open and get visitors to come. 
A woman makes a perverted video and instantly becomes a millionaire more times over while the working mother struggles to buy enough groceries to feed the family. Wow. And it gets disheartened, doesn't it? And if you're in the early church and you throw persecution in on top of all this stuff, it gets really hard. But I'm not going to take time to read it, but read Psalm 73. It's written by Asaph, one of David's worship leaders. And he wrestled with that very thing. It's been going on forever, ever since the fall of man. But I do want to read the, the last few verses of it, and we'll have an invitation. If you guys want to come on back up to the entrance, that'd be awesome. Asaph says, Psalm 73, 16 through 18, So I tried to understand why the wicked prosper, but a difficult task it is. Then I went into your sanctuary, O God, went to church, and I finally understood the destiny of the wicked. I went to spend time with you, is what he's saying. Whom have I in heaven but you? I desire you more than anything on earth. My health may fail and my spirit may grow weak, but God remains the strength of my heart. He is mine forever. Those who desert him will perish, for you destroy those who abandon you. But as for me, how good is it to be near God? I have made the sovereign Lord my shelter, and I will tell everyone about the wonderful things you do. When you are at your worst, don't run from God. Run to God. And please, you hear pastor ask for this week after week after week. Find somebody that you know is full of the word and it has a great relationship with God. It's like, I'm struggling with, and you fill in the blank. Confess it. Don't be ashamed. Don't hide. That's what the enemy wants you to do. Let it out. That's what we're here for, brothers and sisters in Christ. To encourage you, to exhort one another. To exhort one another. Encourage each other to keep going. And last, as an invitation, and it literally is an invitation, in chapter 18, verses 4 through 6, as these judgments are being poured out, God sends this invitation. He says, Come out from her, my people. Do not take part in her sins, or you will be punished with her. For her sins are piled as high as heaven, and God remembers her evil deeds. Do to her as, as done to others. Double her penalty for all her evil deeds. And that word come out in the Greek is, is, is pretty cool. It means to go or come forth on one's own accord. In other words, you have a choice. God gave Adam and Eve a choice way back in the Garden of Eden. Hey, don't eat that fruit with that tree. Free will. God, just like he sent out an invitation back then, you have to make a decision. I, I don't want to be in this mess. I don't want this destruction. I don't want the wrath of God. I'm, I'm going to be in heaven with my brothers and sisters in Christ. I want to be with my Savior, Jesus Christ, the one who paid it all for me and shed his blood on Calvary's cross, who came out of that tomb on the third day victorious. I want to be with that dude. Because look at the alternative. Frogs. Satan. Darkness. Fire. Where the worm dies not. Torture for eternity. Who wants that stuff? Shelby, we were getting ready for our for our wedding. She sent out over a hundred invitations. Some said yes, some said no, but many didn't even reply. They they showed up. Some 
Some didn't show up. And I just want to make you aware that you hear the invitation of God and to ignore it, you're still making a choice. You are still telling God, no thank you. And can you imagine on Judgment Day standing before the one who died for our sins, who went through such pain and torture on Calvary, even before Calvary, even before the cross. Can you imagine looking at him, knowing that he had done all that for you, and saying, no thank you. If you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, you need to do that this morning. To be washed in his blood. To be filled with his spirit. And the last thing I want to share is with you followers of Jesus. I want to encourage you with these words. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 12. You are not like that. You are a chosen people. You are a royal priest, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness and into his wonderful life. And once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. You have an identity. Once you have received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. You know what it's like to be washed in the blood of Christ. You know what it's like to taste and see the goodness of God. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and partners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God and judging the world. Do people see Jesus when you're out in the marketplaces, when you're at your work, when you're around your family, if not why? Pastor, you come up here with me? Make people make feel more comfortable with you. We're going to give you an invitation. If you never accepted Jesus Christ, by all means, come, come talk to one of us. If you're struggling with anything this morning, you your walk with Christ, we want to pray for you. We want to encourage you. But you got to let us know that. We're not here to beat you up. We're not here to expose you in front of anybody. We're here to encourage you and love you and help you take another step. Right, right. We love you. Let's stand with
there's so many distractions. And so I pray that we would be able to focus in on you amidst the craziness of the world around us and all that's taking place. I pray that we would find you. Lord, your word tells us that if we seek, we will find. And so, Lord, I pray that we would continue to pursue you in the days ahead. Help us to do just that. I love what Randall's words had to say. God, give us those challenges to our soul. I pray that we would respond appropriately. God, help us. Help us. Help us to follow you in the days ahead. No matter what comes our way, I pray in Jesus' name.